0: We're going to start with the brands that have the most print subscriptions and try to offer digital subscriptions there too. This will be a long process. Building a digital subscription business, as you've seen with the New York Times or the Washington Post, is not something that happens overnight. That's one of my long-term goals, but I very much want to do digital subscriptions.
1: Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin. Future's new CEO, John Steinberg, is keen to build things. In his career, he's helped build two new media startups, working as president and chief operating officer at BuzzFeed, and then founding and becoming CEO of Cheddar. Since April, Steinberg has entered a new role, CEO of Publisher Future. Steinberg joins the podcast in an interview with editor Omar Oakes, who asks him about his time at BuzzFeed, the health of Future and the digital publishing market more broadly, and the value of CanLine's. This interview was recorded just before the festivities kicked off this week, and a full write-up on the interview exists on our website at themedialeader.co.uk. We hope you enjoy.
2: I'd like to ask you a number of things. Obviously, you've been in the role um, for a few months now, uh, lots of plans for the business. Two two
0: and a half months. Don't, Don't age me.
2: Uh, two and a half months. Okay, uh, not very much time at all. Well, I'm sure you were thinking about what to do um, in the run up to your appointment and during your appointment. But anyway, we'll get into all of that. Um, but we're obviously speaking amid Can Lions and um, the wonderful festival that it is. So I want to ask you, you know, as a as a media owner, as a publisher, CEO, kind of what does Can Lions mean for you? So what are your what are your plans? What are you, who are you there to see? Why yeah. is Can important to you? Why does Can matter?
0: You know, I I think some people go to it because they want to go to a party. Um, I'd rather be with my family. You know, I'm going there to be with ad agencies and media buyers at brands. Um, You can pack a lot of meetings into a few days. I'm in London, so it's convenient just to fly there. It's a quick trip, and I'm there to, to do business basically.
2: Yeah, and what what does business look like? Is it deal making? Is it schmoozing? Is it kind of talking to advertisers directly? Agencies? What does that look like?
0: You no, know, it's having. I mean, it's having the meetings that you would have basically in New York or, lo- or in London. The difference is, it's a more relaxed setting. The sun is shining. People are comfortable, and you're basically, or you know, we're basically talking through the offerings of our platforms, talking about our brands. Um, talking about preferred programmatic relationships or direct advertising relationships and basically, um, you know, trying to tell the the future story to people who, you know, may have not heard of it before, basically
2: yeah and so what is the future story so you you own a number of publishing brands you've acquired a lot of publishing brands over the last few years Um, a lot of people in market will um know you for um know your company for purchasing go compare the price comparison website and all the things you've been doing since then to to marry the intelligence and the data that you get from that into your publishing products and branded content all the rest of it um so so what's the future story and how if anything will things change um from your predecessor zilla bing thorne
0: the story is we are the specialist high intent media company we have 250 brands whether it's tom's guide or tech radar and technology or marie claire and beauty and fashion uh or horse and hound in uh, the countryside life and we are where people go to research and read about their passions and often research a product that they want to buy. And so I think we're different than a lot of media companies in that people are coming to our sites with a very specific intent. Um, They have a passion they want to explore and each of those 250 brands, you know, caters to a different one of those and a different specialized audience.
2: And, obviously you have an interesting background for many years over the last decade you were at buzzfeed news um how much of a how much of a change in your first two and a half months has it been from an organization um such as that to the future
0: well you know i did buzzfeed and then i did cheddar which was which was my startup which was a live news streaming service and i think that the most exciting part about future is that we reach one in 3 people in the uk one in 3 people in the us and the platform just has enormous scale and enormous diversity of brands and so basically we can work with people however they want to work with us whether that's doing a programmatic buy against an audience segment or whether they want to do branded content with one of our brands or whether they want to do a display buy or, you know, the menu of offerings is unbelievably broad and the scale is unbelievably broad. So I feel like in previous roles, I may have been trying to get the brand to to buy what I was selling. You know, at BuzzFeed, it was branded content. At Cheddar, it was branded content. Now, if I walk into a room and the advertiser is like, we, we want to do everything through a private marketplace. Like that's how we buy. That's what we want to do. We can do that. If there's someone who want to sell products via affiliate, affiliate is a third of our revenue. We can do that. And so I feel like I'm in a much more flexible kind of easygoing position than I had been in the past because I can respond to what they want. And there's nothing they want that I can't say yes to.
2: Mm, that's quite interesting. It's obviously been um, a difficult time for online advertising in particular. If you walk up and down Cannes, you know, the, the marina, you'll see that the boats are heavily dominated by tech companies, tech platforms. Yeah, tech, yeah. yeah and so much of the, the growth that we've seen in the ad industry over the last decade has come from, frankly, online advertising tech platforms. Now, your share price, your company, has been down by 46% roundabout in the last six months um how i mean you obviously this this is impacting your business quite a lot i mean how how do you see the way forward
0: well the share price isn't impacting our business i mean we're you know we're doing what we do we we had 400 million pounds of revenue in the half year we had 130 million pounds of adjusted operating profit that converted to free cash flow the financials of the business are very strong Um, you know, obviously we were down 10% in revenue on an organic basis in the half year. So there was definitely some, some macro weakness that we felt, but we're still executing on everything that we're doing. And the business is in remarkably strong shape. You know, there's a lot of AI fear right now that I think is in the market. The idea that AI is going to take away people's desire to go to specialized sites to read and research. I don't believe that a paragraph generated by AI. Is going to take away the need for specialist media. So, I'm confident where we are. The share price will do what the share price does. It goes up. It goes down. You know, we're still uh, a billion dollar company right now. You buy market cap. You know, I, I like to convert the pounds to dollars to get us over the <laughs> billion. Uh, and and so I feel I feel very strong about the you know the hand of cards we've been dealt.
2: So yeah, I mean um, as well it can be as as much as the market generally there is so much talk about ai and the applications for not just media owners but advertisers as well um so you interestingly uh, interesting you use the word fear i mean is that generally i mean how do you how do you some people talk about it as an opportunity where, where do you see the opportunity first of all for ai within your own business what are you what are you actively looking at right now in terms of saving money doing things differently
0: Yeah, we we made a chat bot on Tom's Hardware where you can go to Tom's Hardware ask it any kind of hardware-related question, like should I build or buy a PC? What graphics card should I get? And it gives you, it's it's read 50 to 100,000 articles that we have on Tom's Hardware. Anyone can go and try the bot right now and it gives amazing results. It's far superior to site search that you would normally see on a site. So I think that's very productive. We're using it to generate... um, technical specifications in articles right now. It saves on average 30% of a writer's time. So we're integrating AI in the business to improve the user experience and then also to improve our writer's efficiency. So that has been very much a plus and and something that we're super excited about.
2: A a lot of what I see in terms of what's written about AI, it seems like frankly, quite incremental things that we're talking about. You use the example of, you know, writing a paragraph generated by AI and how effective or useful is that really? Um, And I see a lot of that. I mean, how transformative more generally do you think AI is really going to be for publishing?
0: You know, it's hard to tell. And I I like the quote that... Things in the short term are often overestimated, and things in the long term are over uh, are often underestimated. And I don't see it making an immediate difference today. I, I'd say we are sort of at the peak of the hype cycle on it. I've never seen something as kind of hyped as I've seen AI right now. You know, it, it's it's every conversation, at every meeting I go to, every you know roundtable I go to, all people want to talk about is AI. But people are generally speaking in like vagaries and talking about how it's going to transform everything. And, you know, people have very few specifics that they can point to that are truly exciting. Like, yes, I mean, OpenAI is amazing. It's a revolution when you can ask it questions. It's super interesting to get the paragraph. The paragraph is, you know, half the time, half wrong. I'm sure it will get much better. But I mean, I hate to say that it's overhyped because, you know, people feel so passionately that it is absolutely transformative to everything that we're going to be doing in terms of work and living and life. But I feel at this exact moment in time, it feels a bit overhyped to me.
2: Yeah. And um, our our industry certainly does love a bit of hype, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, So going forward, it's interesting in terms of what you've been doing, what Future has been doing over the last few years in terms of integrating all that intel you get from uh, from search from the specialist expertise of the content creators the journalists that you have within the business i mean what changes going forward i mean are you gonna look at doing maybe more subscription recurring revenue things Uh, you're you're nodding as i say that so that's a yes explain more what are you going to do
0: so I, I, I talked about that at our interim earnings. Um, I think digital subscriptions is a huge opportunity for us. Right now, we get a third of our revenue from magazines. Half of that third, 48% of that third is subscriptions, but it's largely print subscriptions. So to date, the business's subscription has largely been print. We have some people that take a bundle of print and digital, but the digital usage is very minimal because it's not a great experience right now. It's basically a page flipper app, um, but doing native, digital subscriptions, especially starting in products like The Week, which is one of our news brands that has hundreds and hundreds of thousands of print subscribers. My view is if we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of print subscribers, there's a latent audience that wants to have a digital subscription. There wouldn't be hundreds of thousands of people subscribing to print and zero people that want it in digital. So we have our own paywall technology called Kiosk. Everything runs on our publishing platform, Vanilla. And so we have the opportunity to do this. And we're going to start with the brands that have the most print subscriptions and try to offer digital subscriptions there too. It, this will be a long process. Building a digital subscription business, as you've seen with the New York Times or the Washington Post, is not something that happens overnight. That's one of my long-term goals, but I very much want to do digital subscriptions.
2: And what, what internal targets do you have in your head Um, for x amount x percentage of converting those print subscribers to digital by five years for example
0: yeah so it's not just converting it's finding new subscribers i think we'll find more new subscribers because people that have print and are subscribing to print really love print they don't necessarily want to give it up so it's finding new and in terms of the targets we do have some internal targets but i'm going to keep those to myself for now ah it would we be internal tar- They wouldn't be internal targets if 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 I told them to you Omar
2: <laughs> fair enough um so you, you mentioned a number of brands at
0: the start I'm, I'm curious to know what, what what's your
2: biggest brand
0: I think our biggest brand that's a very interesting question like our biggest brand by scale is probably Tom's guide or tech radar in the tech space right but you could argue that Marie Claire is the most well-known brand, I, I think. You know, you could argue that Country Life or Horse and Hound have the strongest brands with the most heritage. But in terms of of sheer scale of reach, it would be Tom's Guide Tech Radar.
2: I think it's interesting more generally because when you say when you just mentioned about finding new subscribers for digital subscription, um, there are a lot of brands out there. The online marketplace is very noisy. And you, the comparison to prints where you're kind of dealing with a lot of legacy subscribers who just like the product, they like how it is in their hands, they're used to it. Where if you're trying to offer new things to a new um, cohort of subscribers, um, doesn't it get quite, um, it, it's quite a noisy marketplace. And do you almost have to look at creating new brands, maybe leveraging existing content, but l- looking at new brands in order to have cut through to that marketplace.
0: I think I think strong brands have strong brands and I think that that's one of the advantages that we have is that we're not starting from scratch like you know the Wheat is an unbelievably well-known brand I would say it has close to the authority and respect that the economist has and so I think you can't build that from scratch you can't build a country life I'm going to a party this week for the field the field is one of the oldest magazines still still printing at 170 years so I think that brands take time to build, and when you have a strong brand, you want to do new experimentations on the back of them as opposed to starting things from scratch. Having started brands from scratch, like you know, when I got to BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed was a few years old, but it was still you know a relatively small site, and we only had 15 employees. When I got to Cheddar, Cheddar was starting from scratch. It's much easier, and you get much more of a jump start on things if you have a strong brand that people have already heard of, and you can kind of cultivate a new product around that so i'm a big believer in in strong brands basically you're right it's definitely noisy i mean and digital subscriptions is hard advertising is hard everything in media is hard there's nothing that's easy in media
2: do you think um generally uh, as a business you need to re-tip the balance towards proportionally less advertising more revenue from subscriptions
0: I mean, I think what's nice about subscriptions is that they're really steady and they're recurring revenue, right? And with advertising, you have cyclical and macro things. And, I, and I've lived through this. I've been doing this now for, you know, I joined BuzzFeed in 2010. That was like my real start in media, I guess you would say. So I've been doing this for 14 years at this point. Um, you know, What's nice about advertising is there will always be a need for it and there are always budgets, but there is times when brands in mass pull back or pull into a market. You know, we just went through a period where there was a big tech pullback. Basically, tech was not advertising a lot. There was there was still chip shortages. There weren't a lot of new products. People had, in COVID, bought every laptop that they wanted and every pair of headphones that they wanted. So there was weakness there. But in the UK, we were able to pivot into other categories like luxury during that period. Now, in the US, you know our performance in the US during the half year was worse because we're heavily concentrated in tech advertisers, didn't have the book of business, didn't have the number of brands that we can pivot into other things. So if you're large and diversified, you can sort of ride out the waves of individual sectors going up and down basically, but you have to be really scaled and you have to be really diversified in your content categories and your industries.
2: Yeah. And, um, you mentioned your time at Buzzfeed as well. I mean, um, just fascinating, you know, imagining the places 15 employees and then building out to what it was became very well known for listicles and really fun content. And then, you know, built a Pulitzer prize winning news organization, which is, um, very, very famously, um, gone the other way now. Um, what, what have you learned from your time building an organisation like that, and how? How? What lessons are you going to apply to future?
0: Yeah, so I've learned that you can launch new products and new offerings. What what really made BuzzFeed BuzzFeed during that day was that we, from a from a business perspective, was that we launched native advertising, branded content, and built that into a sizable business and ultimately got BuzzFeed to the point where Disney wanted to acquire it. I don't know if you read the Vanity Fair article from Ben Smith about when Disney wanted to buy BuzzFeed and I was begging Jonah to take it. Jonah wouldn't take the deal. So I learned from BuzzFeed that from tiny acorns can come mighty oaks and that you can build products from scratch and launch new things. And it may take time, but it can be done, which is why going back to our conversation about digital subscriptions, that may be a lengthy effort that may take a fair amount of time, but it can be done.
2: And I'm interested to know the process for you taking over this job. So you are very much a digital entrepreneur, if if there ever was one. There's a lot of those who, a lot of people who claim to be digital entrepreneurs, but you are legit
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say. Wow, well,
2: uh, it's true. Um, so, what number one? What motivated you apart yeah. from compensation to, to to take this job at Future? Um, given given your background, and how do, how did you sell yourself? How did you get the job?
0: This is a great question. Uh, so. I wanted the job because I wanted to run a scaled internet business because that's what I know, internet media, that's what I've been doing, that had great financials, and I didn't want to be selling advertising that was a hard sell. And so I knew that because this business had high intent, and I hate to keep repeating that, but that's really what makes us and Dot Dash and Ziff Davis and Red Ventures different from a lot of other players, which is, you know, a third of our revenue is affiliate e-commerce, is people coming and buying stuff and us getting commissions. So like I wanted a business which had diversified revenue streams, had an advertising product where you were advertising to people that were ready buyers, and I wanted it to have great financials. And there's basically the four companies that I listed. So when I got called by the headhunter, for the future job, I knew that I wanted to do it right away. And the only question was, what you know, would I move the whole family to London? And I talked to the family, and the family was, you know, was on board with that. And so we made the decision to move to London, which is a big switch when you have a 13 and a 14-year-old. So mm. that was why I wanted to do it. I sold myself as an entrepreneur. And as someone who launched new products and innovated and tried new things, one of the things that I'm trying now is we have 180 million followers on social and are very doing very little to monetize them. And so I want to do branded content on social, short-form video, and sell packages like our brand Who, What, Where already does into social video, into short-form video, and make that part of the packages that we take to market. And so I basically came to the board with – three to five ideas that I had for things I wanted to do and enhance, many of which I, I mentioned to you today, many of which I mentioned at the interim results. And if the board had decided to go with someone who had more PLC experience, it wouldn't have been me because I didn't have PLC experience. Now I'm really lucky that I have a CFO who's spectacular, Penny, who has um, tremendous PLC experience. And I think, so what they decided was, what the company needed was product innovation, traffic diversification, growth. And if anybody had a shot at doing that, it would be me. I think that's how, I think that's the conclusion that they came to.
2: That's fascinating. And uh, uh, another thing about Future is um, we, we mentioned it already, um, a lot of acquisition activity over the last few years um and it's it's obviously 2023 it's a more difficult market to do that now is the MA tap off at future for the time being
0: yeah the MA tap is not off i mean given where our share price is you know we look to do acquisitions that are accretive acquisitions whose multiple after we take out cost synergies is not higher than ours and so that limits what we can do but we will uh hopefully be able to do what we call bolt-on acquisitions smaller media properties that we add to the mix we have an active pipeline we're looking at them and so i wouldn't say the tap is off but i would say that like it'd be it'd be impossible for us to do a transaction like goco right now something of that scale and size at that price we simply couldn't do it because you know our stock doesn't have the multiple right now to be able to do something like that but we 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 do want to do acquisitions
2: And finally, what is the one thing you are most excited about at Cannes Lions? About doing, seeing, doing, hearing?
0: Yeah, so, you know, WPP has this event called Stream that they do in Cannes on a little island. And it is the best collection of media agency people uh, and brands of any event that I've ever gone to. I've gone to it three or four times. And for me... That is always the highlight of can and is as much a reason I go as taking meetings on the Quaset is.
2: Great. John Steinberg, CEO of Future, thanks very much for talking to The Media Leader.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you for listening to The Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oakes. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.